This is Lisa Nearing with Soft Skills 101, Life Skills for a Digital Age. This podcast is sponsored by the Ultimate Homeschool Podcast Network and True North Homeschool Academy. True North Homeschool Academy offers live, online, and self-paced courses for students from kindergarten through 12th grade, along with clubs, testing, academic advising, parental support, and community. Check out our blog with helpful articles and resources for homeschooling, along with reviews. This month, we're focusing on the soft skill of critical thinking. Critical thinking is so much more than knowing information. It's about what to do with that information, how to apply it, how to think about it in new and creative ways. We offer several classes that focus on critical thinking skills development, including several of our self-paced courses, biotechnology, American Sign Language, VET, and Forensic Science, and more. You can find links to our half-credit self-paced courses, which are credit-worthy in the areas of science, technology, computers, foreign language and career exploration, in the show notes. And now, I'd like to introduce our guest for today's show, Amy Vickery. I am here tonight with Amy Vickery. Amy holds a Master's of Science in Education, specializing in curriculum and instruction from the University of Central Missouri, and a Bachelor of Science in Interdisciplinary Studies from Texas State University at San Marcos. She's also spent two years of college studying interpretation for the deaf and deaf studies in those ASL. Her teaching certificates include special education, English as a second language, and generalist, early childhood through fourth grade. She is now part of the Struggling Learners Department at True North Homeschool Academy. Um, she's been trained in Diane Craft assessments, and she loves the discovery approach to learning. Teaching children how to learn will help them reach their goals and dreams. And we are really excited to have Amy as part of our team at True North Homeschool Academy. She actually runs a special ed department. She does a lot of talking with parents who come to us who have kids with processing and special needs and struggles and challenges. Um, so Amy, welcome to the podcast tonight. I'm super excited to have you here to talk about critical thinking skills. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. So as we've been talking about that, um, really 10% of kids in public schools have a diagnosis of special needs or even processing disorders. And that number jumps up to 30% in the homeschool world. So it's a chunk of, of our, of our educational community of kids who are really struggling with some kind of special needs challenge or a processing disorder. And in that world, in that community, you hear about critical thinking skills all the time, don't you? <laughs> it is definitely one of the top things that parents are asking about. Yeah. And, and that is because <laughs> it gets back to some real issues that we all want to train our kids up in. But of particular interest to parents whose kids kind of struggle, things like time management, self-management, and uh, you actually mentioned metacognition. So I hope you jump into that a little bit more. But all of these are real concerns for, for parents kids think a little bit differently. So what can you tell us? What do you want to share with us tonight? Amy? So a lot of our kids, no matter what their diagnosis is, they really struggle with reading. And with reading, there's two processes that go on. You begin with reading and the process of learning to read. That has to do with figuring out the phonics, figuring out the sight words, and really just figuring out how to read words. Reading is not a natural process. Mm. Um, there's a book called Prowse and the Squid where she talks about that man was never really intended to read. We've created this system and that's why no one system of learning to read works for any, for all children. Mm. 
because it really is not a natural process. Math is a natural process. Now, kids can still struggle with math, but it is a natural process that exists out in the natural world. Reading is not. So reading presents some other challenges. Now, once we get down the words and how to read them, then we we transition into what's called reading to learn. Mm. And that's where we start working on inferencing. Inferencing and deductions. Inferencing is taking the facts that you read, putting them with your background knowledge, and drawing a conclusion that is a reasoned conclusion based off of those two things. Well, if you don't have background knowledge or you can't pull those facts out of the reading passage, you have a real hard time making inferences. Right. Okay, so you mentioned two parts to that process. We learn to read and then we read to learn. So I I don't think many of us think about it that way. That's really breaking it down. And the fact that you mentioned reading isn't really a natural process might take some pressure off some parents. (laughs) (laughs) It it, it does. It does. Because I tell parents that they're like, oh, I never thought about it that way. Because there are a lot of people out there that will tell you that it is and it's really not. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it was cr- created by people to, to be able to pass down our information from generation to generation. Mm-hmm. And there's not one way of reading. When you look at mathematical process, they are uniform across all languages and all cultures. Mm-hmm. Our numbers might look a little bit different, but the mathematical processes are the same. Mm-hmm. That's reading awesome. is not the case. Right, right. Okay, so in, when you talk about inference and learning to read... That can be really a hang-up for kids who have processing disorders or special needs. Right, and especially if they're in still in that learning-to-read stage, it's going to make the inferencing and that comprehension piece so much harder. Mm-hmm. And so for my son, what I did was I separated the two out. We learned to read, and then we started working on the comprehension. Now, when I read aloud and I did stories with him, we still worked on listing comprehension, which they can do from a younger age, but the reading comprehension, be able to read the read, read it himself and then answer the questions that we waited on until he had the, the ability to read down where he's not struggling to, with the words. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. And that just how you broke it down is really where as, as parents and educators, we're critically thinking about the whole process of reading to break it down enough so that kids who struggle a little bit with that, it's accessible to them. Um, that's basically what we're doing in our whole special needs program at True North Home School Academy. So, um, Amy, you do such a great job of breaking it down for parents so that they can understand. Sometimes you just have to take it down to a simpler part um, for some of these concepts that seem like everybody should get to them, but it's it's not always that easy for some people. It's not, and, and it was really interesting. I was cruising through Facebook the other day and I found an article that was talking about audiobooks. And it said that audiobooks activate the same area of the brain that reading does. And so, you know, utilizing tools like that when our kids are struggling to learn to read can really help them still work on those comprehension and those inferencing pieces Mm -hmm. and still activate that same area of the brain. Mm -hmm. But without having to struggle through the words. Right. And if you can find a resource that highlights the words and has the words with them, or they have a book that they can follow along with, that just helps reinforce all that you've been working with them on as well. Awesome. And what, tell me why you think critical thinking is a term that most parents with um, a special needs kid understand. Uh, they, they just kind of get what that means in some ways. 
the, the term that keeps coming to my mind is adulting 101. <laughs> <laughs> the first time I saw that was like adulting, but it's true. You know, what are we really concerned about as parents? Mm-hmm. What are, are our kids going to be successful as adults? Mm-hmm. What tools, what skills do they need to have to be able to leave the nest and fly on their own? Right. And so kids who really struggle in areas with just self-management, we're probably more concerned about about their adulting ability, their critical thinking ability than kids who just naturally get how to, they get up in the morning and brush their teeth and fold their pajamas and put them under their pillow and the things that we think would be normal. But the kids who just look like a tornado has gone through their their bedroom after they've been up for two minutes, those are the kids were like, oh, you need more, more resources. <laughs> yes, yes. And, you know, it, and it's, it, when you get into the special needs world, it can be, you know, one day my son can put up his pajamas and clean his room and do everything else. And then the next day he is so dysregulated mm-hmm. and it's that tornado again. Right. And then I have to go in and help him get it back together, get him back sit, regulated and everything else. And then we're able to kind of get back on that path. Right. But being able to to step, know when to step in and when to not step in, that mm-hmm. that is really key with these kiddos, right. and teaching them to self regulate so that they can self manage is so important. Right, giving them tools, giving them things to fall back on when they're having those struggles of being able to to self manage and self regulate when they're when they're not feeling regulated. Right, being able to help them figure out, okay, this is what I need to do to help myself feel more in control, more regulated, mm-hmm. like I can take on the day again. Right. And that is one of the things when, when I'm getting calls from parents who are, who are like my kid, this, this uh, workbook just didn't work for them, or I'm a bad teacher and they're just like three or four years behind. My other kids didn't struggle so much. That's always kind of like a, maybe a little yellow flag to me. Like, have you had them tested or have you looked at a, at, at like, a processing disorder or something because it, and it is often too that, that they can be managed and organized one day and not another. There's almost like a lack of regularity in their own ability to do that for themselves. Would you say that's probably true in your experience? There is. And you know, it can be the littlest things, things that we wouldn't even think about that can just throw them off completely. Mm-hmm. My son has been thrown off by losing his baby teeth and having his adult teeth growing in. He's been thrown off because he's gone to bed one night, woken up the next morning and his feet have grown a shoe size and he's having growing pains and he's, he doesn't know how to use his legs because they've grown three inches. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, you know, it's just little things that we wouldn't even necessarily think about that sometimes he just has to have a break that day. And, you know, as adults, sometimes we have to have our mental health days and take off work and go and do something more enjoyable and have some fun. Well, kids need that too sometimes. They need to have their, their, their healthy, healthy brain days or mental health days or whatever you want to call it and have a day off and go do something a little bit more fun and go, you know, just take a break. So right. I think we push down responsibilities and, and work to those younger ages and they need to be able to have some time to play and be kids still, Mm -hmm. even as they get into middle school and high school years. Right. So what are some ways that we can help our kids with self-management, whether they're, I mean, even if your kid doesn't have a special needs or learning challenge of any type, (laughs) not every kid is a normal regulator. I mean, not every kid is just wakes up or is born with some organizational skills. How do we help our kids instill 
uh, self-management and regulation without, um, you know, without adding a whole nother curriculum or another outsourced thing? What are just some simple ways that we can do that for our kids? One of the main things I do is I always start with the assumption that behavior is based on communication. Mm-hmm. You know, even our kids that are verbal, that express themselves very well, sometimes they can't express emotions or they can't express needs when they need to. And so just being able to kind of help put words to feelings, words to emotions and say, hey, you're, something's going on. What is it? And mm-hmm. just starting that conversation up and trying to get down to the bottom of what is the underlying reason for a change of behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's the first thing I do. If there's not an underlying reason that I look at curriculum, I look at, you know, what, what strategies can I do to basically loan them my executive functioning, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, so I can't be there with them 100%. So what can I do to help you with the executive functioning? I've seen s- suggestions like setting a series of alarms on a phone mm-hmm. where, you know, in the morning they, it reminds them, okay, get up. Okay. Now get dressed, go get breakfast, go brush your teeth, go do, and they have a series of alarms that go off. So it's not the parent having to tell them every five minutes, go do this, go do this, go do this. It's, the phone is dinging at them and annoying them and there's, mm-hmm. you can't argue with the phone. Mm-hmm. So, right. Well, you can't, but it doesn't, you know, there's right. no joy in arguing with the phone. Yeah. So. <laughs> there's, no, there's no enjoyment. Right. Um, and so you just, you just mentioned another term, um, which is executive functioning skills. And in some ways I kind of think that maybe critical thinking and executive functioning can be interchangeable because it's not just taking in facts, it's not just knowledge, but it's what you do with the information and being able to integrate it into other things. Like, you know, a healthy body is going to keep you happier. So brush your teeth. And, um, and so, you know, there's the thing I want to be happy and there's this toothbrush. I don't really like the toothbrush feel or whatever. So I'm just going to not brush my teeth, but helping our kids make that loop in their brain, um, is going to benefit them in the long run. I just read a study about executive functioning skills and academic readiness versus social readiness. There's different types of executive functioning skills. Some of them are called executive functioning skills. Those are your academic skills. And then you have your hot executive functioning skills, and those are your social skills. Hot executive functioning skills? I I was like, cold and hot. I was like, okay. So, but they... It was really interesting. They did a study on pre-K kids and they tested their executive functioning skills and then they uh, tested their academic and social skills. And they found heavy correlations between these executive functioning skills and academic readiness and social readiness. And social mm-hmm. readiness is very key okay. to academic success. The mm-hmm. two are very heavily linked. Yeah. I've even read a study that if you send a late summer birthday to school, they're going to do just those couple months of sending an August or September birthday to school. So your younger kids are going to perform at a lower level um, by grade level than those kids who have like January, February birthdays. Just those couple months can make a big difference. They can. And I had a niece that her birthday is very end of August and they always we're expecting her to be behind, be behind and she's actually very, very smart. Mm-hmm. And so she could keep up academically, but there were some social struggles there, especially in those first years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us about metacognition. What exactly is metacognition and why should we even care? 
<laughs> so metacognition is thinking about your thinking. Mm-hmm. So that's where you, you stop and you look at how is it I learn? How is it I'm, you know, how, how is my thinking working for me? What do I need to change? Mm-hmm. It's something that I work a lot with my, my students on is thinking about their thinking, thinking about their learning, what's going well, what's not working for them. Do they need to see it another time? Mm-hmm. And that links directly back to those executive functioning skills and that academic readiness and that social readiness of being able to advocate for themselves of, you know, I kind of get it, but maybe one more time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I tell them, I say, you know, if you're needing to see it again, mm-hmm. chances are somebody else does too, and they're not saying it. And then you see everyone else going, yeah, yeah. that was me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And thinking about your thinking isn't something that we often think about. Let's be honest. I mean, it's kind of even odd to say that, right? But for kids who um, have processing disorders, especially, or disparity between their abilities and disabilities, those two E kids or special needs kids, being really aware about thinking is going to really help them develop critical thinking skills, self-management skills, executive functioning skills, all the things they need to really succeed academically and socially. So just bringing those, instead of being reactive, bringing it to the, the front of our brains um, and being really proactive about it. That's like a whole skill set in itself, isn't it? It is. It is. And uh, it's really funny because we have these conversations a lot, especially in my math classes. Uh-huh. And today in my, my math games three, which is fractions and decimals, we've been working on those fractions and adding fractions and things like that. Well, we played a game today and the kids at the end of the game, they, they looked back at their paper and they said, wow, we solved like 20 something fraction questions. Wow. How did that happen? And they looked at me, they go, you tricked us. <laughs> <laughs> like a good teacher does. Yes. <laughs> they said, we weren't, we didn't even realize we were answering that many questions, but because it was fun, because it was set up as a challenge to them, because it was based off of who could answer them quickest. And it was really interesting because sometimes it wasn't the, it wasn't always the same person that was answering it first mm-hmm. and they had awesome. to be accurate too. Right. And so adding those fun things in, and then going back and talking about it and about their thinking processes and about their processing on it, that mm-hmm. can really help. And sometimes when they're struggling with something, making it fun drops those inhibitions, it drops that anxiety, and they can push through whatever barriers they've been battling with it. Mm-hmm. You actually posted an article on our True North Homeschool <clears throat> um, Facebook page about the power of fun and learning and how kids learn so much faster if they're actually fun, having fun and playing games. It is. It, and it, it is so mm-hmm. amazing to see what they can accomplish when they are having fun and they're, they're enjoying themselves and they're not thinking about the math necessarily or the reading necessarily or whatever, whatever the topic is. They're just enjoying the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and just like you said, they weren't even aware that they were engaged in learning, even though they were learning uh, really critical thinking skills and higher level executive functioning skills. Because when you're getting into that level of math, especially for kids with dyscalculia or for struggle, boy, fractions and decimals, that that's really can be a struggle for kids. Yet they're, they're playing games. They're not even realizing they're working that hard. Um, right. Just and that awesome. was definitely what was happening today. Yeah. 
I, I love it. So tell us about some of the, just maybe give some tips or helps for parents to get organized themselves as they teach their kids how to be organized, which all goes back to self-management and self-regulation. Um, definitely as a planner or, or checklist of some kind, being able to write out kind of what their plan is for the week. And so for some kids, it may be that they need it broken down to the day or even maybe just two or three assignments at a time mm-hmm. for them to, to check those things off and then move on to the next thing. But to have being able to break it down and say, okay, this day I need to get these things done or this morning I need to get these three, these things done. You know, as adults, we can write our, we sit down, we write our own checklist. Mm-hmm. But our kids, you know, the, again, giving giving that part of that executive functioning brain to your kid for a little bit and helping them with with that process. You know, I want to interrupt you for a minute on that because one of the things we've noticed this year with our junior high program is that a lot of the kids don't understand how to really keep a schedule. Like that is one of the things we want to actually take some time and teach our kids is how to put things on a schedule, especially when you have due dates that are different days or different times, especially for the homeschool world where <laughs> it can seem like, well, wow, there's no actual due date for anything really ever. And if I'm late, mom won't care that much. But when you have some outside accountability, then all of a sudden it matters. But how do you back into getting your work done and planning ahead to make it to the due date to have stuff to turn in? That's like a huge skill. It is. It is a really huge skill and it's a challenging skill. Mm-hmm. And it's something that even adults struggle with sometimes. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So teaching our kids how to do a schedule and keep a calendar. Yeah. What else? So um, organizing their space. So um, I find that if I help my son be organized in his space, he, he's much more regulated in his, how he feels and how he, how he acts. Okay. And so our kids that get easily frustrated having an organized space, um, thinking about whether they need it put away or they need it out where they can see it. Mm-hmm. So my mom and I laugh because my mom wants everything tucked away behind cabinets and in drawers and out of sight. Well, you look, you know, I am not that way. I have to have it out where I can see it. You can't see it because we're on a podcast, <laughs> but I have a bookshelf behind me with my little cubbies with all my little books tucked in them. And I know where everything is because uh-huh. I can look and I can see it and I can pull what I need, but right. I have to have it visually out in front of me. Otherwise I forget that I have it. And I right. go, I have to go buy more. <laughs> Right. And so, and that might actually get to the get to clutter too. Some people can work really well in a cluttered environment, and some people actually can't. Um, some kids, ADD kids, really need to move to think. In many ways, it actually dispels the energy that they have. And so, if you can get them a squeegee ball or even a bouncy ball to sit in a big yoga ball while they're doing math, we had a rebounder, one of those little trampolines for a long time. I had a couple kids who learned all their math facts while they jumped. These seem like kind of silly little things, and are you really doing school if you're jumping on a trampoline? But if it's helping you get there, then yeah. I I have one that does class while he's cleaning the kitchen because he has to be up and moving. And -hmm. I know he's paying attention because he pops over and and communicates with us and talks with me. But he has to be moving. That's how he learned. He learns Uh by moving. Right. And the one time he tried to sit down and sit still – it was, <laughs> it was harder. It was so hard for him. Yeah. I mean, he was, he was making faces with his hands and, you know, just doing everything he could, but he, he was sitting, but uh-huh. he was not still even then. 
So yeah, having something to do with their hands, um, with our online classes, one of the things they can do is they can just pin the teacher and take the other kids off because those, especially those bigger classes, every time somebody new talks, the kids rotate. And so there's something visually changing all the time. Mm -hmm. And for some of our kids, it's too much visual information. Right. That's what they're going to be looking at. They're going to be focusing on the detail. They've proven it with studies that kids who have autism or ADHD, their, their brains are looking at the details, not at the main focus. Mm, okay. So if you have one of those kids, turn off everything but the teacher so that all they can see is the teacher and the screen and let them look at those and let them focus on that. Because otherwise they're going to be watching those kids scroll and they're not going to be hearing anything else. Right, right. Okay, so helping them organize and plan with the planner or schedule, um, being really aware of their space and how they particularly can manage it, but just visually or tactily and um, helping them with their space. Anything else? Um, like you said, with clutter, less is more sometimes. Mm-hmm. And so like in my son's room, I don't have a whole lot of stuff in his room. I just have the basis. He, he takes things in and out of there as he wants, as far as toys and stuff go. But I find that if I keep too much stuff in his room, it's too hard for him to manage it himself. Mm-hmm. And so being aware of that, rotating things in and out and giving them space, not just in their room, but in other places of the house to store things where they, things are kind of compartmentalized. Mm-hmm. So for some, some kids, they may need a separate school area from their bedroom. Mm-hmm. They may need a separate school area from the kitchen table because yeah. it may just be too much to have it all in one place. Right. Right. Okay. So clutter, space. Critical thinking and special needs is really a hot topic and we'll list resources in the show notes, books that we've done some reviews on the blog that are really worth checking out. The Thinking Toolbox. Oh, I love that book. Tell us about that book. Um, I've been using it with one of my students who has some processing issues mm-hmm. um, and we do a lot of um, interspace learning with him. What is? And what did you just say? Interspace? In- interest-based. Okay. So he, he gets, he, he gets a lot of say in what we study week to week and day to day. Um, he, we do, it works really well. We have some books that we use kind of as a spine, especially for social studies and we integrate social studies and language arts and things like that. And so that integration of, uh, between subjects helps us Mm -hmm. to not, for him to not feel so overwhelmed Mm-hmm. With the amount of work he's doing, things kind of get to double dip and count for more than one subject. Mm-hmm. But he, one of the things we decided to look on logic and we did the thinking toolbox and it has been such a great discussion book. We've been learning about what is an argument? What is, you know, how, how are arguments, you know, developed and things like that. And it's been really great for, for him learning that, you know, sometimes an argument, you know, a fact is a fact, even though it's not true. Is still being presented as a mm-hmm. fact. Mm-hmm. And the and fallacy detective goes along with that too. That's another fun book. You mentioned something just about how the uh, integration across subject areas, which is really key to critical thinking. So it's not just that you know information, but it's how you can integrate it and interweave it again between subject matter and how it all flows together. That's a real key tool. So just the fact that you're doing that with a student is pretty cool. Um, and one of the easiest ones to start with is history and language arts. Yeah. Definitely. So we do a lot of, of reading um, historical fiction and historical, you know, novels that are based on his real historical events mm-hmm. that 
we do literature, literature stuff, mm-hmm. activities and stuff like that off of. Right. Um, and so, but those count for both for him mm-hmm. because, you know, he, it's too much for him to read history and to be reading, you know, literature and things like that. So I find that integrating the two really is helpful for him. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Okay. So as, as we just wrap up critical thinking skills and um, possibly special needs, processing disorders, anybody on the spectrum, anything else you want to share with the listeners? Or um, of course, we'll put again, some detailed notes um, in the show notes for people, books and stuff of that, like that. Um, I would just say, you know, keep your eye on the goal. What is your goal? What is your end goal for after high school? Mm-hmm. You know, is it going to be going, getting a job? Is it going to be a trade of some kind? Is it going to be a two-year college, a four-year college? You know, forward to what, what, that, what does that end goal look like? What are they interested in? Uh, when we have a struggling learner, you know, being able to, sometimes you get so much more out of them just by picking a topic that they're interested in. Mm-hmm. Right. And they'll, they'll surprise you sometimes in what they're willing to do when it's fun, when it's engaging, when it's something they, they like. Mm-hmm. Right. Sometimes they're more willing to read something or to do something. And one of the things that I found as we work with struggling learners is that oftentimes if it's not fun, they're not willing to put the effort in because they have to put in so much more effort than what we would expect normally that the, the return on their investment just goes down. So um, there, fun cannot be, um, I think it, you just can't, if you can add fun in it, no matter what you do, it's going to just make it better for everybody. Stephen Tonti just did it. I just watched one of his Ted talks on this. He's a college student at the time. And I think it was in 2013. And he talks about his experience having ADHD as a child. And as, as he got into college, what it was like. And he said he could devour a 15 page research paper if it was on a topic he liked Mm -hmm. and he would just blow through it. But if it was a one page article on something he didn't like, it took him forever, mm-hmm. but he could go and do X, Y, and Z really fast. But he was still reading that one page paper that he didn't like. Right. Right. It, it was just really fascinating to hear his description about what it meant for him. If it was something he was interested in versus not interested and it just, his brain would just shut down. Almost. Wow. Wow. That's crazy to think about, but we'll put that in the show notes too. Amy, it's always great to talk to you and thanks for jumping in here on critical thinking skills and just the importance of um, working on it and being intentional about it as we, um, as we parent and raise our kids, whether they're in public school or, or homeschool, but just things to think about and helping our kids develop critical thinking skills. So I appreciate your being on the show and I will link Amy's classes. So you can find her online. She does a lot of blog articles for us over at True North Homeschool Academy. Thanks, Amy. Thank you for listening to another episode of Soft Skills 101, Life Skills for a Digital Age. This is Lisa Neering from True North Homeschool Academy, and we are grateful to partner with the Ultimate Homeschool Podcast Network to bring you this podcast. Listen, share, and download this podcast and previous episodes that that cover soft skills like communication, integrity, flexibility, and adaptability, and more. We offer extensive show notes to resource you and your family with books, articles, movies, and curriculum. 
Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week for another episode of Soft Skills 101, Life Skills for a Digital Age.